1: Broadcasting from the Leadership Academy Studios, aka my new basement. Actually, I'm in my attic today, and welcome to the Driven Entrepreneur. I can't even finish this open like I normally would, because I'm staring across the table at the most angelic being I've ever seen. Yes, welcome to our 300th episode of the Driven Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Matt Brawning. with me today in person, in the flesh, live in the studio, is my wife, Lola Brawning. Lola, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you, and hello, everyone.
1: Hello, everyone. We're so glad to have you. I can't believe uh, you have not actually been on any show yet.
0: That's true.
1: And we've been doing this for four and a half years, 300 episodes, and you are making your debut. How do you feel?
2: Wow, I feel just... I don't even know. I don't think I could put it into words. 300s already? 300. Wow. What a milestone.
1: Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people have been listening to the show. Um, It's amazing. We're grateful for you guys. This is so cool. And my wife, Lola, is the one who's been behind the scenes every step of the way, taking care of our family, taking care of me, taking care of the home, helping envisioning in the business. Uh, making the space and making the support to do everything that we do with coaching and speaking and the traveling and someone's got to pet that little wiener dog when when he's whining when he's downstairs when i'm gone uh you're awesome honey
2: thanks i was gonna say i was remembering back to the time when i used to be at the volunteer table you were one of my first ever volunteers sure was (laughs) first and only for a minute and
1: plus my parents
2: plus them yes
1: yeah Uh, So, you know, a lot of people don't know kind of on the entrepreneur journey and on the timeline of how how long we've been together, what that's looked like. And I just wanted to take a second and first obviously celebrate our 300th episode milestone. But I thought, what better way to celebrate than actually kind of a look back on the entire entrepreneur journey and the whole picture, which includes family life and everything else. And I'm like, well, let's bring in you. (laughs) You have a, a whole different insight than I do. Mm-hmm. and you know we're opposites in a lot of ways but obviously those that's help true. and complement bring us back a little bit to when we were first you know we we meet we're dating this is 2008 yep yeah, 2008 we meet and i've been an entrepreneur since 2002 but i was running a different business so i was doing real estate and mortgages and financial coaching and then i went to chase my dreams being a coach and being a speaker in 2006 Over the course of those two years, that's when I went from the mountaintop to a valley. Lost, some of you guys have heard the story before. I'm eating Easy Mac uh, in my friend's trailer in his driveway. I lost my house. I lost everything trying to be a life coach. And along that way, on the way down, I meet you. That's true. And did you know I was on the way down? I
2: sure didn't. You were very good. Very good (laughs) at selling yourself.
1: Selling myself. I was like, I'm pretty cool because I still had the house.
2: You did. You still had your Uh, house in the hills so by all the looks of everything you were doing just fine
1: i was yeah and when when did it become apparent i don't know like like, honestly i don't even know that i know that when did it were we dating for a month or two or when did it become apparent that um things were going to be changing that Uh, you were we weren't going to be in the million dollar house on the hill with the pool with lights (laughs) to change colors and the bar downstairs
2: right um which, to be honest, I didn't think that house was that great. So I wasn't too upset about it. But
1: I was the interior designer for the whole remodel, and it wasn't good.
2: <laughs> it was definitely a man's house. Um, I think, yeah. A lot know, of stone. I, yeah. uh, I think not until you told me, really, because after, as soon as we met, you had a gig in Australia. I think six weeks after we met, you were leaving. Australia for a month or something or six weeks like that um and so yeah and that
1: was the first big speaking gig that was going to be the breakout
2: which I didn't know because you didn't you know we just met you weren't going to tell me you were previously eating easy mac in a trailer that's probably wouldn't have been you know a way to get a girl um so I didn't know until you came back from Australia and you'd made sales and then you were moving into this smaller garage one bedroom conversion in Costa Mesa um and then, with
1: one window, as you always point out.
2: I had a, I had a feeling maybe in August because you were trying to rent out your room and sell some furniture. So it seemed a little like he has all this money. Why is he selling all this stuff? And the house was kind of bare. So I think there was a little inkling, but it wasn't until you told me when you came back, when you were back in October, that I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense now. And
1: I'm like, yeah, this is going <laughs> to go away. Yeah. So I rent, I, I mean, that's the story. I rented out rooms in the house to buy a plane ticket. To follow my dream to go to Australia to, for the chance to speak and you know help impact people's lives and it and it worked. Luckily, we're still here. Right? That was 15 years ago. Yeah, just nuts, right? Mm-hmm. As we're talking, you know, recording this now. It's summer 2022. You guys have probably heard. Of course, we're in pre-release season right here, right now for another two weeks of the new book. That's my third book, Driven to Courage, and I had just released my very first book like the year before we met. Okay. Uh, so now we're on three books. We're on hundreds of multi-day seminars and trainings all over the world. We've been, you've seen it, right? And I've, and I've, I've shared there, the story you've been seats. there. Yeah. Um, so early on, I guess one of the things I wanted to kind of just talk about and, and shed some light right on, on, on the other side of the coin, right? Um, on the family side, on the lifestyle side, Early on for the first couple years uh, of us being together, dating, being engaged and getting married, pretty much we had to move from you were doing what you were doing. And I was traveling all the time because it really was city to city. It was like I was yeah. on the road almost like a I would say like a rock star without the rock or the star. It was just right. Just the hotel schedule. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it like for you when you were initially having a full time job? And like you were doing your career and you're doing your work, but you weren't super happy in it, but you were still doing it. But then I'm doing a whole entrepreneur, completely erratic schedule. What was your take on, I guess, what that experience was like? And then how did we start making it work?
2: Yeah, well, I think at first, you know, I'd gotten into interior design and I I was still working at that when I met you. Um... And I think at first it wasn't that big of a change. I mean, you were in Australia and we'd talk at 6 a.m. in the morning when I got up for work. And it was midnight there and we'd have a 30-minute conversation or something. And then I'd finish getting ready and I'd have to be to work by 7. So, you know, I was probably late a lot. That <laughs> it was, it was, it was months after I met you. Um, just because I wanted to talk too longer. Um, but...
0: oh, Yeah, I
2: know. Sweet, right? And, uh... Yeah, I think as the months went on, it got harder and harder for me on my end because I'd never, I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. I grew up in a very nine to five job, right?
1: Yeah, tell us a little more about that because you do have a, an interesting background. I didn't realize what an entrepreneur family kind of I had. Like, you know, my grandpa was, you know, had the silver refining business and my, you know, I used to go with my dad and collect x rays from the chiropractor to scrap it for silver. Like, we did stuff. And I didn't, I'd never thought of it as an entrepreneur, quote unquote, but I know we always were doing different things. Your family was very different.
2: Yeah, my family, you know, my grandpa was a traveling salesman for gypsum board. So obviously he was a little more kind of entrepreneurial, but he wasn't because that was way back in the fifties. He had pension and all these other things that don't exist anymore nowadays. Um, But my mom was a microbiologist and so she had a very normal early job, probably 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. to 3 or something like that. But she did that for 35 plus years. And so I think I just grew up with a very stable, you get up at the same time, get ready, go. Everything happened at the same time and you went to bed at the same time and dinner was at the same time and everything was at the same time. So I think... Tell
1: us about your bedtime when you were a kid. Yeah. It was my favorite.
2: I think I went to bed at 7.30 no matter what the season didn't matter. If the sun was out and we complained and we said, oh, it's too bright out, my mom would close the curtains and she'd say, there, now it's not. And I mean, you could still hear kids screaming in the in the parking lot playing because we lived in an apartment. So she's like, no, you're not. It's dark now. Go to bed. Um, so, and I get it. She had to get up early. That's just, you know, she's a single mom. So, you know, no dig on her whatsoever. But that's just... But
1: well, you were like the super schedule. Super the...
2: schedule. Super st- stable. Stability. Stability, which wasn't a bad thing. It was just, I grew up and it was very boring. I wanted something different
1: yeah and then my dad again like my mom worked part-time and then for sometimes and she was like a teacher's aide and then some and at a certain point she stopped um and my dad I guess yeah he did different things he went to school for teaching He, he was teaching a little bit he was doing the family business um he got into like computer repair so he kind of like had these different career tracks and I look at it as You know, he was like, okay, I get excited. And now I see myself a lot in that, actually. He got really excited about something. He dove into it. He learned about it. He started something up. And then it may or may not have panned out long-term, you know, how you think it is. And then he's like, oh, you know, let me do this other. So he was never afraid to try different things. Even though we lived in the same house for 30 years, or they did, I guess. They still are. They're still in the same house that I I moved to when I was like nine months old or something. Um, So they've been there 40-some years I grew up in there until I was 18. And then another thing that was interesting is you and I both moved a lot. Yeah. When you were a kid, you moved a few times. Then when you became an adult and you went to college, you obviously moved a ton. And yeah. I grew up and turned 18, I moved a ton. So when we met each other neither of us had the stability of like, I want the white picket fence and I want the dream home, you know.
2: Yeah, that was never something I desired.
1: So we both... So we both kind of had that. So when it was time to move somewhere and right, we're, you know, we're getting married and we're starting a family and starting our life, it wasn't a big deal to move and do that. No. But what about risk? I think that's something that, that is probably one of the biggest terrors not terrors, I was going to say tearing apart, but it's kind of, it could be a terror uh, yeah. for, for couples and entrepreneur families yeah. is the the measurement of risk where one spouse is much lower, one spouse is much higher um, for risk aversion, <laughs> risk sure. tolerance. Where do you feel like if you were on a scale of zero to 100 zero is no risk, you just want exactly, you know, what's going to happen. I'm talking money, you know, sure. where you live, food on the table, bank account, that kind of thing. Zero's no risk, a hundred's bet the farm every day. Where do you feel like you might fall in your gut?
2: Yeah, I would say for me, my gut is 50 to 60%. (laughs) Is it? And I know you might think differently, but I think, you know, before I met you, I was taking risks and I was, I was doing things that I know a lot of people hadn't done in my life. And it's my experience, you know, at 18, I'd wanted to go to art school But I just, it didn't feel right then, so I ended up going to college up in Fort Collins, Colorado, for about three years. Um, And after I finished my third year, I just, I really didn't know what I was doing, couldn't figure out a major. So I decided to finally move out to California on my own uh, and go to art school. So, you know, one day I packed up my car and my sister helped me out and drove me out to California. And I moved out there with absolutely nothing. No job. I didn't even have acceptance to the school yet. Um... I just had, I guess, a wish and a prayer at the time. I just really felt like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get out and explore. I wanted to get out of what I felt was a podunk town. Looking back now, it's funny because it's not podunk at all where I grew up, but I felt like it was. You mean Denver? Yeah. Denver felt really (laughs) podunk to me. Well, the suburbs of Denver. But anyway, my sister helped me out. I loaded up my car with everything I owned, which was not a lot. And we drove out to California. And then, you know, within a week, I had an apartment. I'd gotten a job. And then within the month, I got accepted to the school I wanted to go to.
1: So what were some of the, That's incredible. What were some of the risks you took? So it's move across country, don't have a job, don't have a place to live, don't have a school acceptance. Right. But I know I'm going to go and work and go to school and go live in California. Right. What are some other things over the next few years? Just... I just want to kind of give people an idea. Like, so when I see you, you've obviously changed, and I have too, with risk tolerance over the years. And yeah. right, it depends on your circumstance, but... Early on, at that age of eighteen and nineteen, twenty years old, whatever, um, you were pretty. Do you feel like you were higher risk then, or do you feel like you've kind of been the same?
2: You know, having kids changes you a bit. I feel like maybe I'm a little more cautious now that I, I, I had a, a child. But I feel like in my twenties, I didn't think things through as much. I wasn't as long-term planning, which I think is very common. Many 20 year olds, I didn't think into my 30s. I was just thinking of, I'm in my, you know, I was 21. Uh, The farthest I could think was 25.
1: Can you imagine being that old? I
2: could be a quarter century old. That, um, funny now, ancient then. And so, you know, I think I just, it was easier because I didn't really know, I didn't really think about the things that could go wrong or could not work out. And since becoming a parent, I've obviously changed and I have a different perspective. So I might be a little more. Cautious now to just jump and do things that in my 20s I was like, eh, let's just do it and it'll work out.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I guess it it would be easier to be ha- have more risk then because think about it: the younger you are, literally, the less there is that you're risking. Right. Like, there's not a nest egg built up. There's okay. not a, a family to watch out for. There's not a a home you have a mortgage. You know, there's not those things. So. It's like yeah, what's the big deal? I'm basically risking my old Honda Civic or, you know, whatever. Right, my
2: 20-year-old Honda. I'm going to risk it all.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> right, but that's really the sum total of all of our risk. And yeah, uh, this is actually quite refreshing for me because I think I've thought of us, if I had to guess, sure. my own little opinion, which is clearly wrong. I would think you'd be at the 20% range and I would be like at the 80% where I'm I don't want to risk it all. But here's what I find is I think we've come closer together where I, I have over the years want to risk less, yeah. I want more stability because I've lived 20 years of that quote unquote entrepreneur, you know, hustle and grind lifestyle and I want now in my 40s, hey, I want a little more stability, right? There's something nice about building a business that you have stability in that you could actually yeah. take a paycheck with
0: <laughs> and like
1: for that whole yeah. last season for years, right? It's like mm-hmm. once a while I went on salary for my business, Yeah, man, it brought so much stability into the home and into our family and everything. What are some of the ways talking about risk um when when your husband wants to risk more or wants to change things more and it's too much. Mm. Whether it's it's actually too much or whether it feels like it's too much. I'm not sure what I'm asking, but sure. I guess what what's the what's that process for you? I think we've gotten better and better at it, but talk to a little bit about early on when I would come up with an idea. Right. No shortage of ideas, Nothing. right? I'd be the visionary head in the clouds. And we, we always use the, the example that, you know, I was the balloon, you were the string, right? Like, right. you know, I want to float off in the clouds with 20 ideas and you're going to tether me to reality, right. which you do a great job at. Somebody's oh. got to do it. <laughs> Otherwise. Otherwise I, you just
2: going to float off and nothing's going to get and done. And
1: then I'll pop up in, in space. Right. Uh, and it would. I mean, that's how... Yeah, businesses blow up. So we need, if you feel like you're a balloon, you need a string. And if you feel like you're a string, you need a balloon because otherwise tethering to the ground is just a crumpled heap. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, early on, I don't know that we did a great job of this. It was like me, I felt like it was me pushing or pulling more, like, no, no, let's do more things. And then you were like, hey, slow down. Let's do less things. And, and we were almost like there was a conflict in there a lot, I felt like. Can you talk about that a bit and what that was like?
2: Well, I think for me, the main thing was security. And I had a greater need for like financial security. You were okay to be in the red. It didn't bother you because you were like, yeah, we'll get out of the black. You know, I still remember events and you were like, yeah, this is how much we made. And I'm like, great, how much is real money? I don't want to know what this all is going to add up to if people pay it all out. I want to know how much everybody paid today. Like, that's our difference. I want real money and you love looking at the possibilities, which I enjoy too. I just have a greater uh, practical need. Well, and,
1: that's, and that's the salesman's kind of dream and nightmare, right? The, the salesperson always looks at the pipeline. Right. And they look at, hey, I just closed this $50,000 deal. Yeah,
0: But great. the
1: spouse is like, well, it's great you closed a deal, but what did they pay? Well, they put $1,000 down. And you go, okay, so you sold $1,000. The salesperson says, no, I sold $50,000.
0: Right.
1: Um, but I do think, yeah, you bring in the reality <laughs> into my fantasy world was a huge help because I started looking at things like that too over time.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think the greatest uh, conflict was you wanted to go for things and if the security wasn't there, I just wasn't able to do it. I didn't feel comfortable like you did. If the security was there, then I feel like I was like, okay, the security's there. You can go for it. Take the risk. Why not? And I don't feel like I, I feel like I tried to be as supportive as I could with your visions and your dreams unless I just really was uncomfortable and I just couldn't find a way around it. I would say in the early days, I probably didn't speak up as much as I should have because I didn't I didn't want to be nagging. I didn't want to keep you from accomplishing the things you dreamed about. Um, so that probably ended in more arguments if I wouldn't have just spoke up sooner instead of holding it in. So I would probably go back and tell my younger self to just speak up and say how I felt about it and have greater communication. Because that's really what it's led to over the years is me finally getting comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I don't like this. Um, and if
1: you're not comfortable now i also have been maturing enough to think hey there's probably something to this like again like talking early days nowadays this is a span of almost you know 12 13 years um early days it was like oh maybe that's just you know she's just not comfortable with risk or she might just feel scared but it's gonna be okay today i'm like ooh, she actually has really good instincts right you might be discerning what God's saying about a situation and your quote gut instinct might be like the Holy Spirit nudging that I'm missing and I better start paying attention. Yeah. In fact, you know, I can look back and say anything from even a small thing like, oh, you want to turn left to find better parking for the movie theater to I don't know if this person that you're looking at partnering with is the right fit. Like from the smallest to the biggest, whenever I don't listen to your nudges and your instincts, it usually costs me a lot of money. Right. (laughs) It's usually a problem.
2: Yes, and that costs us a lot of money. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, yeah. (laughs) Which I know you realize, but I just think, um, you know, it just reminded me of that time we were getting ready to move out to Michigan, and, uh, you know, we just came back from a trip to the UK for three weeks trying to finish up packing and leave, I think, within three or four days, something like that, and an opportunity arose for you to go partner with someone. And I think... From that, I learned should have spoken up more because you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And it was like, "Oh, I don't think this – I didn't think it was a good opportunity. I didn't think it was going to work out. But I didn't say it because I wanted you to have the freedom to go explore it. And you did. But it left me – left us scrambling at the end of packing and trying to figure things yeah. out, which it would have been better because it didn't work out. And no. you ended up spending all that time there for really no purpose. Yeah, it was like
1: we – yeah, that was crazy. I forgot about that. See, I, I, I put those – the failed experiments, I just put them out of my mind. Of
0: course you do.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that was... Cr- so that was 2018. Yeah. Came back from a three-week UK trip. We were with the church and vacationing and having a wonderful time. Yeah. And we had to move, not just out of our house, but cross-country 2,000 miles. Yeah. Um, and finish packing the house and getting the... Tri- all the things you would have to do to move across the country. Right. And we had like a three- or four-day window.
0: Right.
1: Oh, and during that time too, wh- where was the... I was doing... The book launch for Firebox yeah, That's right. were doing a book launch as well. Which meant I was doing TV and media. I was traveling and it was all live TV stations then. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing speaking gigs. I did one yeah. in Utah with Kirk Cameron. I remember that one. And right. the publisher came out. Like We did this whole thing. There's a lot going on. And that was all right in that same window. Right. So book release, move across the country, come back from big vacation. Whoa. And then in that tiny window where there's no margin... I was like, I need to take this business meeting and I need to spend half the day with these people because there's opportunity that this could be something. And you felt like, probably not. Right. And I was like, no, this could be millions. And luckily, um, it did not work out. Right. Because that would have been a nightmare.
2: I mean, it would have been in California or moving to Michigan. I'm not really sure how that would have worked out in the long run. I don't
1: think we'd still be here, honestly, if it had, because I would have been going back so much. And then, but think about say it didn't work out, mm. and then I'm going back all the time. And then all of a sudden, what would the next year to our first year in Michigan be like? It would be a nightmare. And then we yeah. finally move back, and it was like, why are we going? And all of a sudden, it's like we're not doing what God's asking us to do. We're not doing what our our actual vision and plan is. We're just living our life around this opportunity that wasn't right in the first place. So right. make good choices, guys.
2: Well, I think that's a big thing in entrepreneurial life, right? There's always opportunities, and especially entrepreneurs are always possibility minded. And it's good to have your partner, your spouse, whomever, always weighing in on that because, yeah, call it gut instinct, call it whatever you want. Um, But that has played a really helpful role in whether or not to take things. For us, it's praying and asking the Holy Spirit, and he guides us in what opportunities are God opportunities that will actually benefit our whole family, not just the business. Because as I know we've learned over the years, if it doesn't benefit the whole family and it only benefits the business, then... It's a win. It's a lose all around.
1: That's really good. This is, there's, I think, two things really worth uh, exploring in that a little bit. Yeah. One is what you just said is, does it benefit the family or not? And to me, what that is, is we have sat down together and decided what are our values in family, like in life in general, right? What are our values? What's team brawning? What do we want? Right. What's important? You know, where are we focused on? And one of those things we landed on is, hey, A business for us, anything in business, should build the family, should build the kingdom of God, right? So it should be spiritually positive. It should be family positive. Mm -hmm. It should be creative and enjoyable for me, right? Where I can use my gift, skills, talents, and enjoy it. Um, And it should be profitable. Right. So what happens is now when we get that deal where it's like, hey, you can be a partner in this new whatever venture. Mm -hmm. And I go, gosh, I can make a lot of money there maybe. And even if it was a sure thing. But that's going to take me away from the family more. Right. That's not going to build up the family. That's not what we want. Right. Um, I also decided against, um, with your help, a, yeah. a major new product line I wanted to do. Remember when I went away for the retreat a year or two ago? Mm-hmm. Uh it's January. To beautiful oh, Muskegon. yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Picturesque <laughs> Muskegon. Yeah.
1: I went to this tiny little like lakeshore town that's not exactly a va- vacation destination, but it was 45 minutes away. went for a couple of days to fast and pray and just vision the next year. And one of the things that came up was this idea of a certain type of a mastermind and what it would be and what it would entail. And when we got into it and sat and started looking, I go, man, this is a great idea and it will be profitable and it will bless all these people and it will advance the kingdom. It will do all these things. But then at the end of it all, it would make me travel by myself more. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't going to be what the family needs. It's not going to bless us. So here's the real thing. And that's what I want to bring this to. Yeah. It's not just about, well, I guess I can't do it. Sure. It's the realization of the abundance of ideas, the abundance of opportunity. That's not right. the only thing I could have done.
0: Right. right. Yeah.
1: The abundance of opportunity. It's It's so much more than the one thing that you're thinking about trying to do. Right. You know? And when I said no to that, we can now say yes to looking for other opportunities that actually are the things we want and some great things have been coming our way ever since then too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess like just getting the, go ahead.
2: Well, if I can, I think it's the priority that we're always a team. Yes. Right. We made that, you talked about it, right? It's kingdom, growing kingdom, growing the business. We're, we're a unit, but we're a team. It's not just you, it's the whole family and we all have a role to play in it and even though you're the front runner and even though you're the face of it like there's us back at home supporting you and you know and so as long as it benefits the team like we talked about and if it doesn't benefit the team then it might be a great idea but if it can't benefit the team then it's not an option
1: yeah i mean leading a family or leading a business is like being a team captain you know it's just Ideally, it's not a title position. It's not like, you know, the coach said, you're the captain. Really? Me? Why? Sure. You know, ideally, it's you're just simply being a captain where you go, okay, the buck stops at me. Yeah. I'm going to have the responsibility as we go together. But there's no question. Um, Val and I just finished watching uh, a Yankees-Tigers game. And at the end, you know, the guy at the very end, the Yankee in extra innings, I um, uh, don't remember his name, but he was awesome. And he hit uh, what they call a sacrifice pop fly. So he hit a pot fly way up, and while it was up in the air forever and ever, one of their guys from third could come around and got home and got the extra run, and they won the game. And then, of course, they caught his ball, and he got an out. But he was the one they interviewed at the end. And in my mind, this is like a leader because he sacrificed. He, he was like, of course I'll sacrifice. Why wouldn't I? Because the team is going to win. Right. And whether it's... You know, Val getting what he needs and wants, you getting what you need or you want, me getting what I need or want. The question is always, what does Team Bronny need, right? What's going to be good for us? What's going to be good for the world around us, our community around us? Let's make those decisions together. Yeah. And when do you feel like we, in in our marriage, I don't know, I guess for lack, no, when do you feel like we got on the same page? Because there was, in the beginning, there's a lot of conflict of, well, you want to spend less and I want to spend more and you want the stability. And I was like, who cares about that? Let's be impulsive. And, you know, we had a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was a little bit more of, we wanted different things, at least it felt like to me. Yeah. And I feel like we got really got on the same page some years back.
2: Yeah. I think Val must've been maybe by four years old when he was four years old. That's what, how many years ago now? Seven years ago. So probably about seven years ago, I feel like we finally kind of started to really get more on the same page with budget and with what we wanted to do and with vision. And it's probably taken growing over the seven years of really, really solidifying it. But it did really start to come together seven years ago where we really stopped arguing. Or we knew our arguments. They were always the same two arguments. Um, And so, you know, we knew when they came up, we're like, oh, we know what the heart of this matter is. It's not really what we're arguing about. You know, we just, we really learned where our disagreements were and we paid attention and we grew um, and I that's think, good. and I think that helped us solidify over the last seven years. You know what we started seven years ago has really solidified over the last seven. And as opportunities and things can come up, and yeah, we still make mistakes sometimes. You say yes to something. It's like, oh, that probably wasn't great, but that's part of life. It's a process. But it's
1: also it's a lot better data now, where it's like because yeah. if you have a, we have clear visions, right. and we have clear values, and we know how we work together. Yeah. Right? So if we make a mistake, it's like, okay, now I know why it didn't work, and I right. know. And I usually know already going in, it's like, ah, that's not a smart choice.
2: Well, and I think as we've grown together, while we realize we all have wants, sometimes we have to sacrifice. And a want is sometimes put off till later.
1: Do you hear that? Do you hear that sales guys? Do you hear that impulsive? Men, women, children. Do you hear what my the wisdom of my wife? Yes. My belief early on, one of the biggest complaints I think, subconsciously was I had a belief of I can out earn as Dave Ramsey says out earn my stupidity mm-hmm. and I always believe that no matter what how I ran the business I could out earn it right so and the same thing for personal if I really wanted something it's like well I'll go make the money and then I can have it hmm. and that is there's fallacies in that belief in so many places right because now I believe okay if I really wanted this two thousand dollar item whatever it is um. yeah, could I go earn $2,000 this week extra? Absolutely. But the real question is, if I make 2000 extra in the business this week, is the best use in stewarding of that resource to buy this impulsive desire? Mm-hmm. For many reasons, no. Right. One is it would be way better to actually be top dollar down in the family or in the business and say, where does this get applied to? Right. What What are our future goals? What are the needs and so forth? But the other thing that I think... Is I wanted to kind of before we run too short on time, I want to talk about the contentment aspect sure. that I think we've we've also been growing in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the need to have new iPhones, the the need to have the bigger house, the better house, the, the nicer car, all the stuff. Yeah. yeah, the you know leasing the new car, and you know we made a choice a few years back to eliminate debt from our life. Yeah, and we have no debt whatsoever other than the mortgage on on the current house, yeah. which I think is acceptable as long as you have a plan, which we do. Um, but no car loans, no boat nope. loans, no RV loans, no credit cards. And mm-hmm. I also run the business debt-free, yeah. which is a huge thing for business owners. And you and I get it. Right now, you might hit stop and be like, I'm not turning the station. I don't want to hear from this guy anymore. Are you kidding me? You need other people's money. OPM. You blah, blah. Sorry. It's not shown and proven to be a good strategy or a long-lasting strategy. And I know because at 25 years old, I had a net worth over a million dollars. I had $4 million in debt and $5 million in assets and property, and within a year and a half, I was bankrupt, half a million dollars in the hole, because those loans went upside down, and tenants didn't move in, and they didn't pay the rent, and then I couldn't pay, and all of a sudden, I built this house of cards that was leveraged on debt, and here's the thing. I actually did it smart, dumb. But I did it smart for according to the debt leveraging strategies, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. I did what I was supposed to do. I did the infomercial guy thing. I right. I did what I gave advice for my clients to do when I was in real estate and mortgages. And it didn't work. So now we're rebuilding a life a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanna talk about that, but I guess yeah, it was the we started with, with the contentment idea of What does it mean, you know, when we went from, especially more me than you, I think, you would usually settle and be content because you had to. And I wouldn't be content because I wanted to be impulsive. We both, I feel like, have found true contentment in the things that we have. What are some of the factors that allowed that to be possible?
2: Honestly, I think some of the factors are the fact that we did it the wrong way. Like, we leased a brand new car a couple of times, which obviously wasn't smart because we paid way more than those cars were worth but we made mistakes um and I think we lived a lifestyle where where I was I felt okay to be impulsive because you were like yeah let's do it and I was like well but I it was encouraging because it was fun right it's fun to get to buy new things it's exciting it feels good um but I think after a few years of doing that, where it was like yeah we leased the new cars and you know I think one day what we went and we bought a new dog for like a thousand bucks and then you leased a new car like we didn't even make a plan we just went to go look and by the end we had a new golden retriever puppy and you had leased a new
1: yellow lab honey
2: sorry yellow lab and then you leased a new like dodge
1: oh yeah suv
2: and with, i mean like that a was
1: 600 lease payment and
2: right and so with that day alone we spent like 1500 well more than that because then we had to go buy dog stuff so that was the two thousand dollar day and we just did it on a whim but after here's the looking. truth
1: that that truck was also a 50,000 thousand dollar purchase right but i had you know it's like oh it's only seven hundred dollars or whatever it was right but we
2: also drew like an hour drove an hour away to get it didn't we
1: and here's the part that blows my mind yeah we did that because it was the one thing because i got in my mind i'm like oh this is it and it was all wheel drive and it was all the things i wanted and i got excited about it and excitement moved to action right? like that. And the same for the dog. I think we had dreamed of thought about getting a dog for all of two days at the most. Yeah. And we looked at it like, oh, here's it. And then all of a sudden we found a breeder and they seemed reputable. And it's like, you know what? Let's go get the dog. And it
2: felt like a line because it was like down the road from the dealership. So that must have been a sign at the time. It really wasn't. But, you know, when you want something, you'll justify it. And, with and we drove
1: back for an hour with that little puppy, eight-week-old puppy. In my lap. In your lap. Yeah. I remember we had to stop at the pet store on the way to get like a crate because we (laughs) didn't have anything. We literally were like, I want a dog. Let's get a dog. It's the ultimate acting like a child. And again, I take ownership for that. That was all me. You, in most of these things, you kind of went, and you went along for the ride. You're complicit.
2: I did. I didn't say no.
1: But, you know. I was hesitant. It it wouldn't have been your idea.
2: (laughs) Well, I might have walked away if I was by myself
1: exactly yeah
2: but i wasn't and then you made it fun so i was like okay why not like if you're okay with it then this has to be okay and yeah. we had a two-year-old at the time
1: <laughs> look if we were participating in armed robbery i walked in you just sat in the car you're like you know you went along for the ride <laughs> terrible metaphor but that's kind of what happens um, yeah and then we, but then things started to change yeah um let's talk about contentment a bit as we wind down here
2: sure I I think, you know, I think it was just eye-opening as we started to get a true budget for, like, every dollar, right? Because we had envelopes before, but it was always like, well, there's this extra money, and it could just be whatever we want it to be. And it just disappears because it just does. When you don't have everything accounted for, things can just $500 here, $500 there. So we, there was a In bonus. the past then,
1: so we made a budget, and let's just make up a number and say it was 5000 a month. Sure. Or whatever it was. Right. You make a budget for 5000 a month and you go, okay, this is, if we make 5000 we need to put it in these places. And that gave us some security. Yeah. The problem with what we did, what you're talking about, is then I'd make, I'd take a quarterly draw or bonus yeah. and we go, oh, now we have money. Yeah. And then we'd basically blow that yeah. and do whatever. Oh, yeah. And knowing that we made more than we needed, if things, had you know, how much, how many months did I go over on the restaurant budget? Oh, all I mean, of them.
2: All of them. <laughs> I mean...
1: Because the mindset, the contentment was the problem. Yeah. Right? My feeling was if I eat a can of tuna and toast at home for a meal, that's missing out. Sure. And if I go to this nice restaurant where I get to eat and drink and enjoy myself, that's enjoying. And, and it was like the the difference of contentment has to come from a new thing. Sure. Versus where does contentment actually come? Right. Right? It comes from like the heart condition and you can find contentment in anything. Right. I think we've done a better job of that lately. Yeah. Still not perfect.
2: No, we're still growing and learning and hopefully we always will be because that's the purpose of life is to always be growing and 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 learning new things. Um I think we've gotten much better at it in the last couple of years being content with, you know, our smaller house and being content with our older cars and our older iPhones. You know, and in and, and not buying a new thing, it takes that kind of adrenaline rush or that need. It takes away that hunger feeling of, oh, there's a new thing. I need that to dopamine go. rush. Yeah, that rush of like, oh, it's new and It's, it's the same the as latest. a gambling
1: rush or a drug rush. It really is. I'm going to buy a new thing.
2: Right. And the more you stop doing those things, that rush feeling goes away. And they're still there. You're kind of like, oh, that'd be nice. But then when you stop yourself and you're like, do I need it? Like, my phone still works. It's, you know, it's not phased out. It's a 10 or whatever. It's still perfectly good. The battery's not as fast, but it doesn't matter. I'm not doing business on my phone. Like, for me, right? I don't do business on my phone. You know, I take texts and calls here and there. It's not like I need it. But I think sometimes. We're, We're not, not content. We're like, well, I really, it's the justification. If I really need this, this isn't good enough. I can't take good enough pictures. But the thing is, I don't ever take pictures. But that's it. Really. it. It's
1: the justification. Because you yeah. say I don't do business on my phone. I'm like, well, I do business on mine. And I could easily start believing, well, I do business. And, uh, and if it doesn't go fast enough or whatever. And the reality is, I don't know if I've ever lost business because my email app took three seconds to open instead right. of instantaneously.
2: Right, I think we just live in such a fast-paced culture we believe the lie that we need the next latest and greatest otherwise we're going to be left behind. And it's just not true.
1: Who teaches us? Who teaches us that that the next thing is going to solve our problems? The people who made the thing.
2: Right. They're not out for my best interest. No.
1: And um, and hear me correct, like we're not saying that you know, obviously entrepreneurs and and you know, even big tech, it's like these yeah. companies, it's not like one day they became evil. Right. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. They're not like, oh, we want to kill people. We want to harm people. No. And you can argue and go, well, they don't believe the right thing. It's, I get that, right? Right. But I'm saying that at some point, somebody started a business and they yes. started it because they wanted to make money. They probably wanted to make an impact. They wanted to do something great to help people. And along the way, it's an obvious move, especially for a public company, that your interest is, well, we need to make profit. But it doesn't mean that they're like, well, let's just, who cares about people? Right. But genuinely, who whose best interest do they end up looking at? Right. Right? It's like, yeah, I, I need to tell you. Just like, you know, who made the food pyramid. And you look at, oh, all of a sudden, like, interesting, the dairy council and the meat council. And they tell you how much meat to have and how much dairy to drink. And, and it's just, I always am a little bit wary when the information to decide something comes from the person selling it. Right. And that's I think what I'm trying to get at is yeah. just be aware, right? Of the commercial for the next iPhone. It might be a wonderful iPhone.
2: Well, and I think the fact is, is that they are good products. Otherwise, nobody would want them that Correct. badly, right? They make quality products that people want. And again, I'm sure you can dig and find But they you made want, the think. commercials. They made the commercials, right? They still made an excellent product that lasts. And and but we live in a culture of throwaway culture. And so you know that just plays a part in in the market. I think and what people create and how they see it.
1: Throwaway culture, like the furniture,
2: right? Clothes—they're not supposed to last anymore. You know, clothes are they so last for thin a now; they last for a season. You used to be able to buy clothes and they could last for years. Now, buy a shirt and it's already see-through before I've even washed it, and that's no good.
1: That's interesting because yeah. then it, it plays into the how content are you? Right. Because now you're you're almost building into products and experiences little justifications. Or it's like, well, maybe in two years you would feel like, oh, I want a new shirt and this one I'm bored with. But then when you also go, oh, and it's getting thin, you're done. Yeah. Now you don't need it anymore. You give it away. You sell it for a quarter or whatever and you buy a new shirt. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's just partially the culture as well. So I think contentment comes, it's kind of countercultural, right? Contentment is looking at your life and saying, well, you know, taking stock of what you have and maybe looking at your wants and saying, well, do I really need that? Right now, it's not that you couldn't set a budget, line item, and save for it over the years and buy it. It's not like you're not ever allowed to buy yourself wants. That's not what I'm saying. But it's it's delaying gratification. It's sacrificing. Things have costs, and you know, in my 20s, nothing had a cost that I realized. But you know, coming into my 40s, it's like yeah, there's a cost in life, and you know, delaying gratification and sacrificing it, and sometimes maybe never getting the want fulfilled um, happens. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, because sometimes your, want, your wants probably often change. There's a lot of wants I wanted when I was younger that now I'm like, oh, actually, I'm really grateful. None of those happen. So,
1: That's a really good. You cause know, When you said that, my heart skipped a beat of like all the entrepreneurs going, sometimes your want will never happen. What? But I believe and I can have anything I want. It's like, yeah, you can. Yeah. But the question is, should you? Right. Is it actually for your best interest necessarily?
0: Yeah.
1: And it might not be. And to your point, the wants change. And being able to, again, slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially in this fast-paced entrepreneur, growing a business, making an idea, doing your sales, all this stuff. To slow down and make choices slowly. You know? Don't delay something for decide tomorrow, not today. Mm-hmm. And there's shockingly, you might go, ah, did I actually really want that? Or did I just get a feeling of excitement about it?
2: Well, and it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. You have priorities and values. Does what you want and line up with that? Does it line up with your priorities and values? Does it line up as supporting the team, your whole family? Does it line up with your values as a family? You know, if you're a believer, does it line up with your values and your priorities as a believer, right? And I think that really helps cut the noise, right? Because there's always someone nowadays, because we live in the culture we live in with social media, there's always someone selling. And so how can you cut through all the noise of all the advertising and all the selling as well? how bad do I want this? You have to stop, though, like we're talking about, right? You take a step back and you take stock and what do I already have? And do I need this? Like the phone, I don't. It's still a perfectly good iPhone, right? And does this support my family? If this is a want I have, does wanting to go, say you want to buy a boat? Does everybody let's, in the family want? Let's
1: it? just say. <laughs> let's just say you want to buy a boat. Let's say I wasn't scrolling this morning on Marketplace looking at boats. But right. let's just say. Let's just say as, you wanna, as a random example. Yeah,
2: random, totally not. Anywhere in my awareness. <laughs> if you want to buy a boat, like, It doesn't mean the whole family obviously has to want to go out on boats, but right? Does it, if you buy a boat, does it still support the family in your budget? Do you still have the ability? Does it take you away a lot from your family now that you're going to play on your boat and nobody else wants to go on the boat with you? You know?
1: Well, and and the question of of spending the money and how much. It's also are we paying down the mortgage? Are we saving for Val's college? Are we putting into retirement? Are we, yeah, are you getting, you know, clothes, am I getting clothes? Like, whatever, right? All the things. And it becomes part of a bigger conversation. Yeah. Not just, because I think a lot of people, couples, this is where one of the, the stresses is. The, the question, the conversation about, should we buy the car or not? Right. Just becomes about the car. Yeah. But... If you, if, you, if you do the 10,000 foot view, it's really about, okay, hang on, let's look at the business as a whole, or let's look at the family as a whole. Yeah. What do we need? Where are we? And you might land on, you know what the smartest thing to do, and it'll feel good if we understand the vision, is, you know, we're going to keep this one car, and we're going to be okay. Like, you and I did one car, a 2005 Jeep, for like a year and a half, mm-hmm. and we lived. Yep. Val survived. He did. It was weird, right? He, he wasn't mad that we didn't have a new car. No. Nope. He likes that Jeep. It was fine.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and then we made a decision together that you know what? We're coming out of pandemic time and it was time to have a second car because of what it'll impact and I'm starting to now travel to yeah. to office spaces more and things like that. So uh,
0: right. but but
1: we made those decisions together and it was based on the vision of where we're going and what we need, mm-hmm. not whether or not that car is a good deal or whether or not I want a car, I don't want to you know. Or
2: I deserve a new car. I deserve a car.
1: Yeah, not about that. It's about where are we going and what makes sense. Yeah. Um, This has been awesome. Honey, we should do this again. We
0: should. It was fun. Did you like it? Oh, yeah.
1: You seem like you so I mean, I like this. You know, I've often thought um, some kind of a... We have conversations on the couch all the time. All the time. And whenever there's some free moments, you know, throughout the day or in the evening or whatever, we find ourselves sitting down and all of a sudden it's an hour, hour and a half. And sometimes it's just chatting. Sometimes it starts with catching up on life and schedules and whatever but we Mm -hmm. usually get into some kind of like you know little philosophical little spiritual little you know emotional uh personality traits we just talk about stuff because i don't know i guess we're we're both high contemplators we both like thinking about cool ideas and sharing them and everything
2: fun to talk about possibilities and that's where you and i have that similarity possibilities are fun what could be possible here because it's all just there's no risk in that. It's just talking about ideas and possibilities and what my could that favorite. look like, and that's super fun. And that's maybe where we should connect. do this again. Maybe we should.
1: Are you in? Of course. All right, y'all heard it here. Lola Browning is in for another episode. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but it's gonna happen. Maybe it's a whole podcast. Maybe. Maybe couch conversations. Well, the please, marriage. Let's couch. hope
2: they're that interesting.
1: <laughs> I think. I think. I think at least we got three in us. I don't uh, know. I mean, at least three good ones. <laughs> Guys, that's it for today. Uh, I want to thank my lovely, beautiful wife, Lola, for taking the time out of her weekend to hang out here with us. Really, really cool. I know you're happy to do that, but I am grateful for it. It was really fun. Um, And remember, um, one of the big things that she supported me through this entire last year is the brand new book project that is still on pre-release today, um, which is actually a lot of the principles we're talking about here. How to deal with the unexpected and come out stronger. The book's called Driven to Courage. And... Right? Now, if nothing has happened, you know that in the last few years, it's been a whirlwind of change and unpredictability and all that stuff. And this book is really a simple five-step formula that I've laid out that we use here in the family and I use in the business to deal with the unpredictable and to not just survive it, but to actually get stronger because of it Mm -hmm. and grow closer because of it. Um, We also have, of course, a co-author, my good friend Ruben Gonzalez, four-time Olympian, is co-authoring the book as well with some amazing stories of really courageous acts of how in the world he got to the Olympics and never should have, but how everyday awesome people like you can take the same principle and achieve your dreams. So we have Ruben in the book and we have 13 other incredible co-authors who have shared their inspirational stories. Um, there are character traits and principles that have allowed them to overcome some unbelievable, incredible odds. We have stories of people who have lost everything, and I mean everything. We have a, a Paralympian who woke up in shallow water paralyzed. We have an eight-time Ironman who found himself drinking overweight on the couch one day in his 50s and said, Never again. And, and over and over, there's so many incredible stories in here. You want to read this. It's going to be inspirational for you. It's going to be enlightening. And hopefully, it'll be a roadmap that I think a lot of us need to, if you have too much unpredictability in your life right now, how to walk through that and find your certainty. So, the book's Driven to Courage. It's on presale now for 20 bucks. Driven to You can go to slash presale, driven to slash slash presale. And we have a whole bundle. Do you know about this bundle, honey?
2: Um, I've seen a little bit. It looks awesome.
1: You've heard about the bundle, you've heard I've me heard talking it. about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I decided, you know, we're gonna do a little ethical bribe to get people to help us with the bestseller list and and grab the pre-sale now before the book is officially released August 1st. So if you get the pre-sale, it comes with the physical book, but we also send you the ebook free, the audiobook free. Um, what else do we get? A bunch of stuff. Oh, two tickets to our live Success Revolution Breakthrough Seminar where I'm teaching basically these principles how to take charge of your habits, your brain, your thinking and move forward in life and really achieve your goals. It's two powerful days. I'm speaking, Ruben's speaking. um, Several of our authors are speaking as well and sharing the stories and teaching the principles. It's two days that are Mm life-changing. Events like this, we sell tickets for $9.97, but in the pre-release $20 bundle, you get two tickets for free. It's really cool. And every author actually gave an amazing gift. The total value for that's like $2,700. It's insane what they sell individually. They all added it in as a gift, as a bonus. So bucks, 20 driven to DrivenToCourage.com. Grab it now before July 15th and you get all that stuff. Excited for you. Um, I can't wait to get this book into the hands of everybody. You're going to love it. And we love hanging out with you. And I can't wait to have my wife come back on again. You're awesome, honey. Oh, thank you. Mwah. That was a kiss. You didn't see it, but you heard it. All right, get out there this weekend as usual and stay driven. And I'll see you next week with another Driven Entrepreneur. Bye-bye.